Saints on KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Sunday afternoon session of the 185th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, second counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, we welcome you to the concluding session of the 185th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and extend joyous Easter greetings this afternoon to all who are participating throughout the world. President Thomas S. Monson, our dear prophet who presides at this conference, has asked that I conduct this session. The music for this session will be provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir under the direction of Mac Milberg and Ryan Murphy with Bonnie Goodliffe and Linda Margetts at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, My Redeemer Lives. The invocation will then be offered by Elder S. Gifford Nielsen of the Seventy.
Our Heavenly Father, in reverence we come before Thee as we begin the final session of this inspired General Conference. We love Thee. And on this beautiful Easter afternoon, we express our deep devotion for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know the tomb is empty. He is the living Savior of the world. We are gathered here and across the world to listen to Thy chosen apostles and prophets. We have been inspired by their words. We pray for them individually, and we pray for their families. We know that there is great safety as we follow their counsel. We have been inspired in this conference, and now as we hear the teachings of those that will present to us this afternoon, we pray that they will feel of Thy loving arms wrapped around them and that the Holy Ghost will bear testimony to us of how we can better prepare ourselves to be Thy chosen sons and daughters. We express our love to Thee in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The choir will now favor us with He Send His Son. After the singing, we will hear from Elder Robert D. Hales of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Elder Kevin W. Pearson and Raphael A. Pino of the Seventy. Elder Pino will deliver his message in his native language of Spanish.
This is Easter Sunday, a day of gratitude and remembrance, honoring our Savior Jesus Christ's atonement and resurrection for all mankind. We worship him, grateful for our freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, and our God-given right of agency. As prophets foretold about these latter days in which we live, there are many confused about who we are and what we believe. Some are false accusers and despisers of the Word and those that are good. Others call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. As those around us make choices about how to respond to our beliefs, we must not forget that moral agency is an essential part of God's plan to all his children. That eternal plan presented to us in premortal council in heaven included the gift of agency. In that grand council, Lucifer, known as Satan, used his agency to oppose God's plan. God said, quote, Because Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, I caused that he should be cast down. He continued, And also a third part of the hosts of heaven turned he away from me because of their agency. As a result, Heavenly Father's spirit children, who chose to reject his plan and follow Lucifer, lost their divine destiny. Jesus Christ, using his agency, said, Here am I. Send me. Thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Jesus, who exercised his agency to sustain Heavenly Father's plan, was identified and appointed by the Father as our Savior, foreordained to perform the atoning sacrifice for all. Similarly, our exercise of agency to keep the commandments enables us to fully understand who we are and receive all the blessings our Heavenly Father has, including the opportunity to have a body, to progress, to experience joy, to have a family, and to inherit eternal life. To keep the commandments, we need to know the official doctrine of the Church so we are not diverted from Christ's leadership by ever-changing whims of individuals. The blessings we enjoy now are because we made the choice to follow the Savior 
before this life. To everyone hearing or reading these words, whoever you are and whatever your past may be, remember this. It is not too late to make that same choice again and follow him. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, believing in his atonement, repenting of our sins, and being baptized, we then receive the supernal gift of the Holy Ghost. This gift provides knowledge and understanding, guidance and strength to learn and gain a testimony, power and cleansing to overcome sin and comfort and encouragement to be faithful in tribulation. These incomparable blessings of the Spirit increase our freedom and power to do what is right. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. As we walk the path of spiritual liberty in these last days, we must understand that the faithful use of our agency depends on our having religious freedom. We already know that Satan does not want us to have this freedom for it to be ours. He attempted to destroy moral agency in heaven, and now on earth he fiercely is undermining, opposing, and spreading confusion about religious freedom, what it is and why it is essential to our spiritual life and our very salvation. There are four cornerstones of religious freedom that we as Latter-day Saints must rely upon and protect. The first is freedom to believe. No one should criticize, persecute, or attack an individual or governments should not either for what he or she believes about God is very personal and very important. An early declaration of our beliefs regarding religious liberty states no government can exist in peace except such laws are framed and hold inviolate as will secure to each individual the free exercise of conscience. The civil magistrate should sustain crime but never control conscience or suppress the freedom of the soul. End of quote. This fundamental freedom of belief has since been acknowledged by the United Nations in its Universal Declaration of Human Rights and by other nations in international human rights documents. The second cornerstone of religious liberty is the freedom to share faith and our beliefs with others. The Lord commands us, Ye shall teach the gospel to your children when thou sittest in thine home. He also said to his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As parents, full-time missionaries, 
and member missionaries, we rely on religious freedom in order to teach the Lord's doctrine in our families and throughout the world. The third cornerstone of religious freedom is the freedom to form a religious organization, a church to worship peacefully with others. The eleventh article of faith declares, We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, and what they may. End of quote. International rights documents and many national constitutions support this principle. The fourth cornerstone of religious freedom and religious liberty is the freedom to live our faith. Free exercise of faith, not just in the home and chapel, but also in public places. The Lord commands us not to only pray privately, but also to go forth and let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Some are offended when we bring our religion into the public square, yet the same people who insist that their viewpoints and actions be tolerated in society are often very slow to give the same tolerance to religious believers who also wish their viewpoints and actions to be tolerated. The general lack of respect for religious viewpoints is quickly devolving into social and political intolerance for religious people and institutions. As we face increased pressure to bow to secular standards, forfeit our religious liberties, and compromise our agency, Consider what the Book of Mormon teaches about our responsibilities. In the Book of Alma, we read of Amlesi, a very cunning and wicked man who sought to be king over the people and deprive them of their rights and privileges, which was alarming to the people of the Church. They, had taught by, they were taught by King Mosiah to raise their voices to what they thought was right, Therefore they assembled themselves together throughout all the land, every man according to his mind, whether it were for or against amnesty, in separate bodies, having much dispute one with another. In these discussions, members of the Church and others had the opportunity to come together, experience the spirit of unity, and be influenced by the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass that the voice of the people came against Amlesi, and he was not made king. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to work together with like-minded believers to raise our voices for what is right, while members should never claim or even imply that they are speaking for the Church. We are all invited in our capacity as citizens to share our personal witness with conviction and love. 
every man according to his own mind. Said the prophet Joseph Smith, I am bold to declare before heaven that I am just as ready to die in defending the rights of a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a good man of any other denomination as for a Mormon. For the same principle which would trample upon the rights of Latter-day Saints would trample upon the rights of Catholics or any other denomination who may be unpopular and too weak to defend themselves. It is a love of liberty which inspires my soul, said the Prophet Joseph. Civil and religious liberty to the whole human race. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, we are responsible to safeguard these sacred freedoms and rights for ourselves and our posterity. What can you and I do? First, when we become informed, be aware of the issues in your community that could have an impact on religious liberty. Second, in your individual capacity, join with others who share our commitment to religious freedom. Work side by side to protect religious freedom. Third, live your life to be a good example of what you believe in word and deed. How we live our religion is far more important than what we may say about our religion. Our Savior's second coming is drawing nearer. Let us not delay in this great cause. Remember Captain Moroni, who hoisted the title of liberty, inscribed with the words, In memory of our God, our religion and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children. Let us remember the people's response. Exercising their agency, they came running together with a covenant to act. My beloved brothers and sisters, don't walk, run. Run to receive the blessings of agency by following the Holy Ghost and exercising the freedoms God has given to us to do His will. I bear my special witness on this special Easter day that Jesus Christ used His agency to do our Father's will. Of our Savior we sing His precious blood He freely spilt, His life He freely gave, and because He did, we have the priceless opportunity to choose liberty and eternal life through the power and blessings of His Atonement. May we freely choose to follow Him today and always. I pray in His holy name, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Shortly before President Heber J. Grant passed away, 
One of the brethren visited his home. Before he left, President Grant prayed, O God, bless me that I shall not lose my testimony and keep faithful to the end. After nearly 27 years as president of the Church, this was his fervent prayer. His example is a striking reminder that no one at any age is immune from Satan's influence. Two of Satan's most powerful tools are distraction and deception. Enduring to the end is a hallmark of true discipleship and is essential to eternal life. But when trials and challenges come our way, we are often told to simply hang in there. Let me be clear. To hang in there is not a principle of the gospel. Enduring to the end means constantly coming unto Christ and being perfected in Him. If enduring to the end is essential to eternal life, why do we struggle to be faithful? We struggle when we are caught between competing priorities. Casual obedience and lukewarm commitment weakened faith. Enduring to the end requires total commitment to the Savior and to our covenants. Lehi's vision of the tree of life is a powerful parable on enduring to the end. Please prayerfully study and ponder Lehi's dream, then liken it unto yourself. As you do, carefully consider six important principles that help us endure to the end. First, don't forget to pray. We begin with Lehi alone in a dark and dreary waste. Each of us experience periods of darkness and loneliness. When life gets dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Follow President Heber J. Grant's example. Pray for strength to endure to the end. Ask Heavenly Father, what more would you have me do? Two, come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. The tree of life is the central focus in Lehi's dream. Everything points to the tree of life. The tree represents Christ who is the clear manifestation of the love of God. The fruit is His infinite atonement and is great evidence of God's love. Eternal life with our loved ones is sweeter and more desirable than any other thing. To realize this gift, we must come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can fill our lives with accomplishment and well-doing, but in the end, If we do not enter into sacred covenants to follow Christ and faithfully keep them, we will have utterly and completely missed the mark. Number three, press forward with faith. There is a path that leads to the tree of life, to Christ. It is straight and narrow, strict and exact. God's commandments are strict but not restrictive. They protect us from spiritual and physical danger and prevent us from getting lost. Obedience builds faith in Christ. Faith is a principle of action and power. Consistently following the Savior's example produces spiritual power and capacity. Without the strengthening and enabling power of the Atonement, it is impossible to stay on the path and endure. Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. Number four, the Book of Mormon is key to spiritual survival. Life's journey is challenging. It's easy to be distracted, wander off the path, and get lost. Tribulation is an inevitable and indispensable part of our eternal progression. 
When adversity comes, don't let something you don't fully understand unravel everything you do know. Be patient. Cling to truth. Understanding will come. Trials are like great mists of darkness that can blind our eyes and harden our hearts. Unless we are continually holding fast to the word of God and live it, we will become spiritually blinded rather than spiritually minded. Search the Book of Mormon and the words of the living prophets every day, every day, every day. It's the key to spiritual survival and avoiding deception. Without it, we are spiritually lost. Number five, don't be distracted and deceived. To heed is to give careful attention. Heeding those who do not believe in Christ will not help you find him. Searching hashtag spacious building for knowledge will not lead you to truth. It's not posted there. Only the Savior has the words of eternal life. Everything else is just words. The large and spacious building symbolized the vain imaginations and the pride of the world. In other words, distraction and deception. It's filled with well-dressed people who seem to have everything, but they mock the Savior and those who follow him. They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They may be politically correct, but they are spiritually lost. Number six, stay by the tree. Lehi's message is to stay by the tree. We stay because we are converted unto the Lord. Alma taught, behold, he changed their hearts. Yea, he awakened them out of a deep sleep, and they awoke unto God. As we yield our hearts to God, the Holy Ghost changes our very natures, and we become deeply converted unto the Lord, and no longer seek the spacious building. If we stop doing those things that bring about deepening conversion, we regress spiritually. Apostasy is the reverse of conversion. To all missionaries past and present, elders and sisters, you simply cannot return from your mission, do a swan dive back into Babylon, and spend endless hours scoring meaningless points on pointless video games without falling into a deep spiritual sleep. Nor can you indulge in online pornography and ignore virtue and chastity without dire spiritual consequences. If you lose the spirit, you are lost. Don't be distracted and deceived. True disciples continue to awaken unto God each day in meaningful personal prayer, earnest scripture study, personal obedience, and selfless service. Stay by the tree and stay awake. Several years ago, Sister Pearson and I were called to preside over the Washington-Tacoma mission. The call was a complete surprise. With some trepidation, I met with the chairman and the CEO of the company where I was employed and informed them of my, my mission call. They were visibly upset with my decision to leave the firm. When did you make this decision, and why didn't you discuss it with us earlier, they demanded. In a moment of clarity... A profound answer came into my mind. I said, I made this decision as a 19-year-old boy when I made sacred covenants with God in the temple to follow the Savior. I've built my entire life on those covenants, and I fully intend to keep them now. 
Once we enter into covenants with God, there is no going back. Giving in, giving up, and giving out are not options. In the kingdom of God, there is a standard of excellence for exaltation. It requires valiant discipleship. There is no room for average or complacent disciples. Average is the enemy of excellence, and average commitment will prevent you from enduring to the end. If you are struggling, confused, or spiritually lost, I urge you to do the one thing I know will get you back on track. Begin again to prayerfully study the Book of Mormon and live its teachings every day, every day, every day. I testify of the profound power in the Book of Mormon that will change your life and strengthen your resolve to follow Christ. The Holy Ghost will change your heart and help you see things as they really are. He will show you what you need to do next. This is Nephi's promise to you. And I said unto them, Whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness, to lead them away to destruction. Wherefore, I did exhort them that they would give heed to the word of God and remember to keep his commandments always in all things. Brothers and sisters, enduring to the end is the great test of discipleship. Our daily discipleship will determine our eternal destiny. Awaken unto God. Cling to truth. Keep your sacred temple covenants and stay by the tree. I bear witness of the resurrected living Christ. I know that he lives. My greatest desire is that I will be true and faithful to the very end in following his magnificent example. In the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. In a revelation given to Moses, we are told of our Heavenly Father's declared intention. For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. According to that statement, the Father's desire is to give everyone the opportunity to receive a fullness of joy. Latter-day revelations show that our Heavenly Father created a plan of happiness for all His children, a very special plan so that we can return to live with Him. Understanding this plan of happiness provides us with an eternal perspective and helps us to truly value the commandments, ordinances, covenants, and the trials and tribulations. One key principle from Alma, Therefore, God gave unto them commandments after having made known unto them the plan of redemption. It is interesting to note the sequence in the teaching process. Our Heavenly Father first taught Adam and Eve the plan of redemption, and then He gave them commandments. This is a great truth. Understanding the plan will help people keep the commandments, make better decisions, and have the right motivation. During the time that I have served in the Church, I have witnessed the devotion and faithfulness 
of members in different countries, some of which have political, social, or economic conflict. One common factor that I have found in these faithful members is their perspective of eternity. The eternal perspective of the gospel leads us to understand the place that we occupy in God's plan, to accept difficulties and progress through them, to make decisions, and to center our lives on our divine potential. Perspective is the way we see things when we look at them from a certain distance, and it allows us to appreciate their true value. It is like being in a forest and having a tree in front of us. Unless we step back a little, we will not be able to appreciate what a forest really is. I once visited the Amazon jungle in Leticia, Colombia, but I was not able to appreciate its magnitude until I flew over it and gained perspective. When our children were little, they used to watch a children's television program that was called What Do You See? The screen would zoom in very closely on something, and the children had to guess what it was as the image gradually widened. Once the entire object was visible, you could easily tell that it was a cat, a plant, a fruit, etc. I remember that on one occasion they were watching that program, and it showed something very close up that looked very ugly to them, even repulsive. But as the image widened, they realized that it was a very appetizing pizza. Then they said to me, Daddy, buy us one just like that. After they understood what it was, something that at first had looked unpleasant ended up being something very attractive. Let me share another experience. In our home, our children like to do jigsaw puzzles. We have probably all had the opportunity to do a puzzle. Some are made up of many small pieces. I remember that one of our children, I won't name him to protect his identity, used to focus on the individual pieces. And when one did not fit in the place where he thought it should, he would become very angry and assume it was no good and want to throw it away. He finally learned to do the puzzle when he understood that each small piece had its place in the picture, even when he did not know where it fit at first. This is one way of contemplating the Lord's plan. We do not have to be concerned with each of its parts separately, but rather to try to bring the entire picture into focus, keeping the final result in mind. The Lord knows where each piece belongs so that it fits into the plan. All the commandments are of eternal importance in the context of the great plan of happiness. It is extremely important that we do not make decisions of eternal value from the perspective of mortality. Having a gospel perspective is essential for decisions that affect eternity. Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, quote, 
Though anchored in grand and ultimate hope, some of our tactical hopes are another matter. We may hope for a pay raise, a special date, an electoral victory, or for a bigger house, things which may or may not be realized. Faith in Father's plan gives us endurance even amid the wreckage of such proximate hopes. Hope keeps us anxiously engaged in good causes, even when these appear to be losing causes. Close quote. Not having an eternal perspective or losing it can lead us to have an earthly perspective as our personal standard and to make decisions that are not in harmony with the will of God. The Book of Mormon mentions the attitude that Nephi took and the attitude of Laman and Lemuel. They had all suffered numerous afflictions and much difficulty. However, their attitudes toward them were very different. Nephi said, And so great were the blessings of the Lord upon us, that while we did live upon raw meat in the wilderness, our women did give plenty of suck for their children, and were strong, yea, even like unto the men, and they began to bear their journeyings without murmurings. Laman and Lemuel, on the other hand, complained bitterly. And thus, Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father. And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Not knowing or disregarding the dealings of God is one way of losing eternal perspective. And murmuring is just one of the symptoms. Even though Laman and Lemuel witnessed many miracles along with Nephi, they exclaimed, saying, And we have wandered in the wilderness for these many years, and our women have toiled, being big with child, and they have borne children in the wilderness, and suffered all things, save it were death. And it would have been better that they had died before they came out of Jerusalem than to have suffered these afflictions. Those were two very different attitudes, even though the difficulties and afflictions they had faced were similar. Obviously, their perspectives were different. President Spencer W. Kimball wrote the following, quote, If we looked at mortality as the whole of existence, then pain, sorrow, failure, and short life would be calamity. But if we look upon life as an eternal thing, stretching far into the pre-mortal past and on into the eternal post-death future, then all happenings may be put in proper perspective. Close quote. Elder David B. Haight told a story about the sculptor Michelangelo to illustrate the importance of seeing everything in proper perspective. Quote, As the sculptor was chiseling a block of marble, a boy came every day and watched shyly. When the figure of David emerged and appeared from that stone, complete for all the world to admire, the boy asked Michelangelo, How did you know he was in there? Close quote. The perspective with which the sculptor saw that block of marble 
was different than that of the boy who watched him work. The artist's vision of the possibilities encased in the stone allowed him to create a work of art. The Lord knows what he wants to accomplish with each one of us. He knows the kind of reform he wants to achieve in our lives, and we do not have the right to counsel him. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I testify that we have a loving, just, and merciful Heavenly Father who has prepared a plan for our eternal happiness. I testify that Jesus Christ is His Son and the Savior of the world. I know that President Thomas S. Monson is a prophet of God. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brüder und Schwestern, auf ein Signal des Dirigenten. Oh, sorry, President Monson. I, I switched. I, I went into my German native language. I wanted to say, actually, on a signal from the conductor, the choir and congregation will join in singing, Come, O Thou King of Kings. After the immediate hymn, will we be pleased to hear from Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Elder Jorge F. Ceballos of the Seventy, who will deliver his message in Spanish. This is the 185th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City.
As we were singing, I was deeply moved with the thought at this very moment, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, of believing saints in more than 150 countries, amazingly in 75 different languages, we together were raising our voices to God, singing, Come, O Thou King of Kings, we've waited long for Thee, with healing in Thy wings to set Thy people free. Come, O Thou King of Kings. We are a very large worldwide family of believers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have taken His name upon us, and each week as we partake of the sacrament, we pledge that we will remember Him and keep His commandments. We are far from perfect, but we are not casual in our faith. We believe in Him. We worship Him. We follow Him. We deeply love Him. His cause is the greatest cause in all the world. We live, brothers and sisters, in the days preceding the Lord's second coming, a time long anticipated by believers through the ages. We live in days of wars and rumors of wars, days of natural disaster, days when the world is pooled by confusion and commotion. But we also live in the glorious time of the Restoration, when the gospel is being taken to all the world, a time when the Lord has promised that He will raise up a pure people and arm them with righteousness and with the power of God. We rejoice in these days and pray that we will be able to courageously face our struggles and uncertainties. The difficulties of some are more severe than those of others, but no one is immune. Elder Neil A. Maxwell once said to me, If everything is going perfectly for you right now, just wait. (laughs) Although the Lord reassures us again and again that we need not fear, keeping a clear perspective and seeing beyond this world is not always easy when we are in the midst of trials. President Thomas S. Monson taught me an important lesson about keeping an eternal perspective. Eighteen years ago, while traveling on a train in Switzerland with President Monson, I asked him about his heavy responsibilities. His response strengthened my faith. In the First Presidency, he said, we do everything we can to move this work forward. But this is the Lord's work, and He directs it. He is at the helm. He continued, We marvel as we watch Him open doors we cannot open and perform miracles we can scarcely imagine. Brothers and sisters, seeing and believing the Lord's miracles as He establishes His kingdom on earth can help us see and believe that the Lord's hand is at work in our own lives as well. The Lord declared, I am able to do mine own work. We each try to do our part, but He is the grand architect. 
Under the direction of the Father, he created this world. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made which was made. As we are spiritually awake and alert, we see his hand across the world, and we see his hand in our own personal lives. Let me share an example. In 1831, with only 600 members of the Church, the Lord declared, The keys of the kingdom of God are committed unto man on the earth, and from thence shall the gospel roll forth unto the ends of the earth, as the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands shall roll forth, until it has filled the whole earth. The prophet Nephi foresaw that in our day there would be few members of the Church when compared with the population of the earth, but that they would be upon all the face of the earth. Three beautiful examples of the Lord's hand in establishing His kingdom are the temples announced today by President Monson. Only a few decades ago, who could imagine temples in Haiti, Thailand, and the Ivory Coast? The location of a temple is not a convenient geographical decision. It comes by revelation from the Lord to His prophet, signifying a great work to be done and acknowledging the righteousness of the saints who will treasure and care for His house through generations. My wife Kathy and I visited Haiti just two years ago. High on the mountain overlooking Port-au-Prince, we joined with the Haitian saints in commemorating the dedication of the country by then-Elder Thomas S. Monson only 30 years earlier. None of us will ever forget the devastating Haitian earthquake of 2010. With faithful members and a courageous band of missionaries made almost exclusively of Haitians, the Church in this island nation has continued to grow and strengthen. It lifts my faith to visualize these righteous saints of God, clothed in white, having the power of the Holy Priesthood to direct and perform the sacred ordinances in the Lord's house. Who could imagine a house of the Lord in the beautiful city of Bangkok? Christians are only one percent of this principally Buddhist country. As in Haiti, also in Bangkok, the Lord has gathered the elect of the earth. While there a few months ago, we met Satit and Jutamad Gwaiwan Watana and their devoted children. Satit joined the Church when he was 17, served a mission in his native land. Later he met Jutamad at the Institute, and they were sealed in the Manila Temple. In 1993, the Gwaiwan Watanas were hit by a truck whose driver had fallen asleep, and Satit was paralyzed from the chest down. 